0: Welcome to Marketing Growth Conversations, a show about purposeful growth for the marketing community. We're connecting with marketing leaders to explore how they've found success in delivering growth for their businesses, teams, and careers. I'm your host, Michael Fasciano, an integrated marketing and global content leader. Like many of you, I've seen that growth for marketers is rarely a straight path. And yet, with courage, strategic thinking, creativity, and grit, it's the game changer for many businesses and an incredibly rewarding career. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Growth Conversations. Zach Foster is founder of Foster Brand Strategy, a strategic collective helping brands and agencies use agile research and insights to shape brand strategy that sticks. Zach has led strategy teams at top tier agencies such as Goodby, Silver Cena & Partners, Droga5, and Venables, Bell & Partners, working on iconic brands such as Intel, Under Armour, Audi, Verizon, and Upwork. He then spent seven plus years building the creative strategy group at indie research and strategy shop, Rado. These days, Zach is building a powerful group in foster brands. Zach's perspectives on agile insights, entrepreneurial brand partnerships, and building a strategy group that punches above its weight amidst so much change in our industry is a discussion you're not going to want to miss. Zach, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much. Good to be here. Yeah, it's
0: great having you here, and it's been fun catching up recently, hearing about all the new entrepreneurial ventures as you've gone independent and really kind of building a vision that it seems is gaining traction in the market.
1: Exciting times and more to come. It's obviously been an odd few years for all of us, but a lot of opportunity out there.
0: So you're building your own business in this wild industry of ours and marketing and advertising and branding. What's been the core focus for you and Foster Brands?
1: I think the last year and a half has been really gratifying for me. And to me, it just all starts with people. You can spend your whole career chasing brands that you admire and projects or roles. And I think uh, just taking a beat and focusing on reconnecting and working with good-hearted people who are versatile, who are brave enough to make breakthrough stuff. For me, it just kind of starts and ends with people working with great people. And I think that the thesis that I had was just there was an opportunity to combine the two worlds and two chapters of my career. The first of which was, as you said, on the agency side and brand and creative strategy, and then pivoting to more of a research and insight space, just because research. Primary research is, it's an industry that's long been in desperate need of a makeover. And so the ability to try to bring those two worlds together and bake some more creativity into the research world is super interesting. And then on a personal level, just the opportunity to carve out some more time to pursue some creative passions of my own just keeps keeps things fresh and keeps me energized. So it's been a, it's been a really gratifying first year and a half and may it continue.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I, I think fearlessness, great collaborations with people, continuous push to learn as brands. That really rings true for me as well. This is a an industry where you have to be curious and you have to double click on all those points where you're finding unexpected insight. And sometimes that can be scary, but that's often where the richest value comes through for brands. Yeah, no doubt. So what's your approach to maximizing the impact for marketing with clients these days?
1: It's a big question. I I would say a couple of things come to mind for me. One is, I think when we hear the word marketing, we immediately go to external customer-facing communications, like the stuff that we see out in the world that we engage with as the end end customer and consumer. And I think the the thing that I have become really passionate about is treating internal intelligence and internal insight with the same reverence and standard and quality that you would if you were putting something out in the world. So just to make that a little bit more tangible, when we think about things like research, qualitative, quantitative research, we often think about, okay, well, the end of that is going to be a big report. And we're going to sift through a report and we're going to maybe find a nugget of gold on page 77 and we're going to dig through this giant deck. One of the things that has to drive growth growth is keeping the consumer, the customer, never more than a click away and, and staying smart on not just what they tell you in a survey, but really staying ethnographically smart. So in other words, like observing them in their natural habitat and getting insight And then reporting out on those insights in a way that actually gets teams excited, where I could create something as a researcher that people actually want to watch if it's a video or put on their wall if it's a visual or send to a stakeholder in Geneva, whatever it might be. And then the second thing I've always been a big admirer was kind of blurring the lines between traditional marketing and PR, really leaning heavily into earned media. And I think that's always been the case, but I think in this marketing environment to actually get people's attention, to actually get growth, you look at brands that are doing it well and growing at a fast pace, it's usually those that are getting a disproportionate amount of earned media from the content they put out in the world. And so you think about brands like the Liquid Death, which I know is something that almost started as a joke in the agency world. I think that the guy who created it was just kind of an experiment. And I think they've leaned on just creating great entertaining content first that is right for earned media. And as a result of that have seen enormous growth in terms of distribution and their value of the brand overall. So I just think earned media is and will continue to be a huge focus as opposed to dumping all your money in paid media.
0: I totally agree with that. Really rich insights that lead to really innovative and unexpected activations are the ones that when people see it, they can't help but talk about it and share it with their friends. And I think that that really comes down to relevance and relationships, right? That's what brand is about, being relevant in the world, about building relationships with customers and among communities. And all of that is fueled by insight and understanding what really clicks with those people.
1: In the marketing world, there's a fair amount of kind of operating in our own echo chamber, if you will, and kind of thinking that we're often in the center of the universe and that our content is just even even on a thing as high profile as the Super Bowl. Yes, it's like the crown jewel of people noticing advertising. We're a couple of weeks after how many people actually remember any of that stuff now. So yeah. like just remembering that our job is to give people something that they actually want to engage with, as opposed to forcing it on them or interrupting their day.
0: Well, now you've opened up a whole can of worms there. What, what were your takeaways from the Super Bowl? I thought that there was
1: some interesting, smart stuff. I got into a funny debate with a few people, and this, I, I will not get religious, but all of the Jesus content, objectively, just if you take a step back, it was kind of beautifully done. Regardless of what you sure. think, of who put it on or what, I, I and I haven't seen the results, but it was beautiful work and it was kind of a head scratcher when they revealed who it was from. They made me feel something, which was kind of funny. I had an opportunity to, I didn't work on the spot itself, but I've been working on a brand called Pop Corners with Frito-Lay. I'm a big Breaking Bad fan. I was, A, amazed that they got the rights to use those characters and that property, but... I thought it was a great kind of coming out party for for that brand. That there was a lot of conversation about the farmer's dog spot, which I agree was nicely shot, nice story. I just feel like I've seen that spot before. True. I feel like that spot has been made by Subaru a number of times, but there's some interesting stuff I always enjoy when the the world has their focus on our world for a moment. Exactly.
0: Our our moment to shine. Yeah. Jumping back into Foster Brands, this company that you're, you're leading and building, how has your work building this new collective as an entrepreneur and an independent consultant opened up your thinking around brand, creative, and marketing in new ways?
1: I'll take that in a slightly different way, just at my first thought, just because it's more about the process of actually creating stuff is more about the composition of teams, like the composition of putting the right people together to drive brand and creative and marketing. I think like it's cliche now, but the pandemic was kind of an accelerant to opening the floodgates on, hey, how should the world of work be structured and how should teams be comprised? And Should we have these strict dividing lines between full-time and freelance and remote and in-person, or should we just try to find the best possible people to nail the project and the objective? So I think that's the first thing is just unshackling the way in which teams come together and the way in which work gets created, just because it's been really eye-opening for me just tapping into other really great independent people, but also... Platforms like Upwork that you know allow you to tap into an entire world of specialized talent. Some of which I've hired designers in Ukraine and they're working while I'm asleep. And then we tag team some things and I have amazing design the next day. So
0: follow the sun. Love that. Yeah.
1: So I I think that's the first thing. It's just like that's been an eye-opening experience to me. I think the marketing world has hopefully started to come down to earth a little bit. I think when I was in the agency world, the obsession was brand purpose. And obviously purpose is still really important and you need to be driven by your why. But I think we got a little bit ethereal with it and a little bit like, it lived up in the clouds and just, or, or there was like a toilet paper brand who suddenly had an altruistic purpose about saving the world. And I just think like, to me, I'm starting to see more of a pivot. And I like this away from like altruistic focused brand purpose to more of what I would call brand conviction, which is like, what are we fighting for as a brand? Like, what are, what are we fighting for and what are we fighting against? Like, I always come back to clients and I'm like, there may be a lot of things we need to figure out together, but if we can nail and distill who or what is your enemy and what are we fighting for above all else, a lot of other things will fall into place. So I think focus on that. And then well, and you know,
0: what I like about that yeah. is the that sort of distinction between purpose and these sort of Ideals that you aspire to, and conviction—what are you for, and what are you against? I think in the latter, there's so much more tension, right? And tension is usually where you get kind of the most breakthrough creative ideas. So I'm totally on board with you there.
1: We we had an old saying in our last get, and in my last company we always used to tell clients tension is good for you. We often try to walk away from things that are polarizing or a little uncomfortable or baked with tension. As you said, that's where my guiding line, my guiding kind of like mantra in marketing is um I'd always rather be interesting than right. And I think like interesting usually comes from tension. It usually comes from something that's a little uncomfortable or not quite right. So, yeah, I think there's a lot there. And to your earlier question, I think the only other thing that I would share is just we've been seeing now for a little while this rise of more design-driven, customer experience-driven, direct-to-consumer brands that they've kind of shown the world that brand can actually drive the value of a company if done right. And you look at like my former boss at Droga, this guy, Johnny Bauer, Fascinating to see him go to a place like Blackstone and lead this whole brand transformation side, which is all about making sure that brand has a seat at the table in the boardroom so that everything emanates out from brand and it touches and informs everything that's else great. in business. So
0: yeah, great companies need to have great sense of self and identity. And that's where brand comes from. Sure. Okay, well, let's learn a little bit more about you, Zach Foster, and how you found yourself in this profession of ours. So complete this statement. I originally became a marketer because blank.
1: I feel like whenever people coming into the industry ask for advice, I'm destined to disappoint them because I don't have some like very intentional journey that got me there. But I guess the answer to that question is I found myself innately kind of reverse engineering ads that I would see out in the world of like a billboard or a TV spot or whatever, starting to kind of reflect to myself, how'd they get there? What were they trying to do? Why were they trying to do that? What do you think the process was? Like, did they have a designer do that? Like, I do nothing. Right. Uh, but I think like, I've always had that like innate curiosity of just like, how was that sausage made? Right. Uh,
0: like solving the puzzle, <laughs> yeah.
1: And so that one thing then led to another. And I, on a whim, reached out to a guy who went to my alma mater who worked at an agency in San Francisco, and he gave me a shot, but there was no there was no super buttoned up master plan from the start.
0: Yeah, sure. uh, what I like about that story, again, is it it comes back to curiosity. There's so many people that I know in our industry they're driven by curiosity. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: What do you think it was about you or your background that led you to marketing?
1: I've always considered myself first and foremost a writer, and I think good writers have the ability to distill down complex, often lengthy ideas into something crisp and as we were talking about something that's tension-filled, that I feel like that was always inside of me. It just never manifested in a marketing capacity. And then strangely, I went to a tiny liberal arts school in the middle of nowhere, Vermont, and studied history of art and architecture, which is one of those majors that is the only guarantee about that major is you will not find a career tied to that major. There are a handful of people that become curators or whatever it might be. But the thing that I always found fascinating about art history was like, art was always an expression of the culture around it. So it was like a snapshot in time of what people were feeling and doing and kind of the prevailing winds. And I think like that fascination of culture channeled through art was kind of a natural lead into the advertising world for me.
0: Completely. So how do you define great marketing
1: leadership today? I think there's there's more to it than there used to be, for sure. I was listening to a podcast recently and just about the life of a CMO and just how it's become more about like politics than it is about being a marketer. But I'll answer your question through the lens of a recent leader that I worked with who I just thought embodied the best of marketing leadership, and this woman named Melissa Waters, new CMO at Upwork, formerly at Instagram and Lyft and Pandora, has had a fascinating career, and her impact on the business was so swift and visceral, and the things that I admire about her is just a versatility to be able to have a conversation about, like, the creative ambition of an ad, all the way down to like the nuances of performance marketing, to brand tracking, to influencer marketing, just the versatility to, even if she doesn't have a purely deep knowledge about every single one of them, she she could hold her own in all of them. I think the second thing was candor. Like candor's always been a big one for me. There's a great chapter in Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull about how candor is the most important ingredient in Pixar. And that's that continues to stay with me. And she just operated with a candor that was never harsh. It was just like, you will never be confused by what I'm telling you. I'm going to give it to you straight. Sure. You can be done with empathy. It's all in the in the spirit of making good stuff together. She had an amazing focus to just like make sure everything was strategically driven. So she had this great saying that was like, my greatest pet peeve is just spaghetti on a wall where it's like, there are lots of great ideas coming from lots of different places, from agencies and internal, but if it's not guided by strategy, it's all just crap and spaghetti on a wall. She was a big believer in the power of brand and design and I think did the stuff that we were talking about before, which is brand emanated throughout the entire organization is really when you find success. So we can make the best campaign in the world, but if the product experience sucks, it doesn't really matter. So just yeah. making sure that it was felt at every element and every kind of touch point of the experience. So I think just... Well-rounded, versatile, candor, focus. Yeah, those are some of the ingredients that I think about. Geez, now I want to work with Melissa.
0: I think that great leaders and this excellent example of a CMO, you have to know enough about everything to orchestrate and connect across the business. And you have to be the champion of the customer. Because the rest of the company is going to be thinking about the business. So the marketing team and the marketing leader have to be the champion for the customer. And that often starts with great customer experience. All right. In a word or a sentence, modern marketing is a driver of growth by doing what?
1: There's a great book that I read every couple of years now. It's by the Heath brothers, Dan and Chip Heath, who... I think their, their first big breakthrough was made to stick. But the book that really connected with me was called The Power of Moments. And it was just, it was all about like what makes certain ideas or content or experiences last. And it's all through these like orchestrating moments in the right way that they actually stick with people. The way that I used to think about it is, is surprise and delight. Like, That should be our ongoing ambition from a marketing perspective. Like what are we doing to surprise and delight the customer through our content, through our experiences, like give people a story to tell that they kind of seamlessly weave your brand into the story. That's ultimately what you want. Yeah. Um, And then I think just coming back around to something I said earlier, just like marketing is often thought about as an external facing force of just like what are we what are we creating and what are we putting out in the world and i think if you've created a tight brand strategy and marketing vision and you're doing that you're you're projecting that internally as well it can also be a, one of your greatest assets to attract and retain the best talent and so yeah. like no growth happens unless you have great people behind it. And I think that often gets lost in the shuffle. It's just like, Absolutely. what are we doing to weave that marketing vision into the way that we do business internally? Cause ultimately like the people driving the brand are the greatest evangelists of that brand. And if they're not passionate and excited and clear on what they're after, then customer's not going to be.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think, It's funny because you do all the strategy and the creative and the planning. And when you get to that moment, when you're about to launch, it's not always the case, but sometimes we've all kind of witnessed the, oh, (laughs) and what are our employees doing? And that should really be something that is far more upstream because to your point, if the employees aren't excited about it, why should the customer be, but also great Branding really should shape how everyone shows up to work every day. Totally.
1: Yeah. I think whenever possible, if ever I'm doing kind of foundational brand strategy work and kind of defining the vision and conviction of the brand, I often demand to do some sort of employee research just because something shakes loose that you wouldn't expect. And you ask questions like, when were you most proud to work here? like what What was going on when you're most proud. And it's often things that are not the grandest gestures. It's not the biggest thing. It's when the company showed up and did like a service day together in the community or, or something like that.
0: So Zach would love to learn a bit about a formative experience or defining initiative that kickstarted growth in your marketing
1: career. I was super fortunate to work at a place like Venables Bell as my foray into the marketing world, just because it was such a nice size. I and mean, I think we were like 50 or 60 people, super cool office in San Francisco, amazing people. And I got the opportunity to be a part of the the winning pitch team for the agency's first global account, which was Intel. People like Kate Jeffers and Gabrielle Tanaglia, amazing kind of visionary leaders who gave the junior folks kind of a seat at the table to weigh in on the strategy. And it was just a, it was an amazing experience that came to us. And the challenge was basically all about relevance and how the microprocessor was becoming commodity and the intel name kind of meant very little and wasn't really being seen as a, a true differentiator within a machine and so the strategy ended up being very much about in order for people to appreciate the differentiation the intelligence within their computers they needed to understand the intelligence within intel itself and so we created this campaign called Sponsors of Tomorrow, which was all about kind of a, almost a self-deprecating view into Intel culture, kind of nerd loving culture. The spot that got the most attention was called Rockstar. And it was with Ajay Bhatt or an actor portraying Ajay Bhatt, who was the inventor of the USB. And we were kind of promoting him like he was a Absolute God. So it was just it, it was fun strategically as a young guy getting a seat, a voice in that process was you know, invaluable. To see some of the greats in the agency kind of do their thing, in a new business perspective was awesome, and it led to a, a great relationship with the agency. So that's that that's amazing.
0: fascinating. First of all, that is an iconic campaign. I'm also curious, working at a boutique agency, is that fair to say Venables was a boutique agency?
1: Staunchly independent. Yeah.
0: Sure. And and then selling in a global strategy for an iconic brand. Was that a moment for the agency where, wow, okay, we got to play at this higher
1: altitude now? I think so. The agency was already on the up and up. I think the Intel moment was definitely a formative one. For, for them. They had already had a pretty nice relationship with brands like Audi, Orville Redenbach. They, they had some good brands in the portfolio, but I definitely think Intel kind of took things to the next level and, and put the agency on a map in a whole new way. Just
0: building on that, tell us about a signature growth moment for you that you often come back to as a marketing leader.
1: The Intel example was something really early, informative, and I was still kind of getting my sea legs there. I think the moment where I felt like I had hit my personal stride, if you will, was at Droga working on a campaign for Under Armour. And it was one of those like strategic challenges where you just kind of pinch yourself, just like, man, what a great RFP to get to dig in on. It was basically like this hyper masculine brand born in football and it was all about how do we relaunch the brand to women wow it, in a way that doesn't feel like we're just quote unquote shrinking and pinking our clothing and our our footwear and stuff like that not only was the strategic challenge super meaty not only did i get FaceTime with kevin plank who was then the ceo But it was more about the process of how we got there and worked alongside an amazing creative team, John McKelvey and Hannes Chiadi, who it was one of those moments where the, the lines between strategy and creative were pretty blurred. They were super impactful and had a lot of perspective during the brief development process, really hammering that together and then. Vice versa, when they started to put pen to paper on creative ideas, we came back together. And there's some other great teams, Felix Richter and Alex Novak, and using talent in a really non-traditional way. It just ended up being a really versatile, diverse campaign with a lot of different tentacles from like social experiments to big TV spots to kind of changing the internal culture of the company. It was amazing, and I'm sure I romanticize it a little bit now, but it was definitely a formative moment.
0: That's a campaign we all remember. I imagine looking at the transformative potential of that brief and then starting to bring it to life and recognizing that you're also kind of transforming this business and doing it in a really disruptive way leaning into disruption in culture. That's definitely what I took from that campaign when I saw it. And it it sounds like that was an incredible experience. So how does the, that experience still shape you today?
1: I think like, first of all, I still reference it and and I I actually still do some work with some of the people that I tag teamed it with who have gone on to do interesting stuff in their own right. But I think that really cemented my point of view about how the strategic and creative development processes should work. That I think the traditional view of brand strategists or account planners, as they were originally called, was that you had to be this smart, intellectual, kind of like academic almost, where you would be the voice of the customer and you'd go off into a dark room and you'd present here is the blessed brief now go off and make this great and i think it definitely cemented my core belief that precious is the antithesis of great work you can't be precious with the strategic and creative process be generous be collaborative be open don't focus on making it perfect right away put yourself out there be vulnerable with creatives too like Yes, you you can still present yourself as smart and an authority on the consumer. But I've certainly learned that some of the best creatives I worked with, if you make it feel like Here's the answer. Now just go execute it. You're kind of putting them into a box. I was listening to the strategic lead at the Martin Agency recently, and he was reminding me of a Quincy Jones quote about leaving room for the Lord or something like that. It was just like how he always thought about music. Just give them like 20 or 30% and let them fill in the rest. And just making sure that we're always doing that is really key. Uh,
0: absolutely. You've got to leave space for creatives and the whole team to dream. And on this topic of openness and vulnerability and just seeing where things can go, have you ever had to pivot while leading and what were you up to? What changed? How did you navigate through it? And what did you learn?
1: I definitely had plenty of moments. I made a giant pivot in my career going from arguably the hottest agency in the world to a virtual unknown 12 person shop in St. Louis, which Funny enough, most of my New York colleagues couldn't find St. Louis on a map, which was ironic. But that led to some interesting pivots in how I thought about my work and how I led teams. Just when I went to Brado, when I was in a more of a vendor capacity in the research and strategy and insight world, I no longer had the keys to the creative output. So we were now working with agencies like Droga, and you kind of had to swallow your pride a little bit that like, you don't have the keys to the output. You need to walk that line between stepping on toes and overstepping because that's not your role anymore. And not being so aloof that you're simply just reporting out on what consumers are saying in research. I had to learn that for myself. I had to teach that to my team as well. But that was definitely a big pivot mentally and professionally for me. Yeah.
0: It's, it's interesting in this world of marketing and advertising being on the client side, the agency or strategist side, the, the creative side, the vendor side, the it's this whole ecosystem of roles. And I actually think if you play multiple roles in different parts of the ecosystem, you start to learn it a lot better and you understand how relationships form and how to Collaborate better, so that's a great story. So, as we move into the learnings for today and tomorrow, what's the best marketing advice you were ever given?
1: I'm amazed how often I come back to this simple line. There's a lot of science and data science in the marketing world that you can't ignore, and it's even it's getting even more pronounced and important, and and you can't disregard that. But as a marketer, I've always put much more of a premium on the art over the science side of marketing. And
0: that notion of, I'd rather be interesting than right is, is the most important thing of how I think about writing briefs, how I judge good and bad
1: creative ideas. Um, because I think the common misconception in marketing is that the opposite of right is wrong. Sure. In marketing, I think the opposite of right is interesting and right sure. is something that gets kicked around and watered down and the edges get trimmed off of it in a boardroom and through stakeholders and through a million cooks in the kitchen it looks really good on paper and then it just becomes wallpaper out in the world and our job as marketers is to be interesting um, yeah. so coming back to what you were saying earlier like at the heart of that is tension like you got to have tension to be interesting. And those insight-driven, unexpected angles, those non-traditional approaches are the ones that are going to break through. Because otherwise, a right idea may make people nod their heads and feel really good internally and in the boardroom. But in this media environment, right, will almost never win.
0: Yeah, I think our industry also has started to scratch the surface around, hey, how do we use research to better understand the value of emotional storytelling? And understanding that performance is often very much shaped by the creative. It's not just the targeting. It's not just did you buy the best inventory or optimize the best algorithm? Right. It First and foremost is the creative. And I think that many of us acknowledge that, but when we get into sort of the day-to-day blinders of getting through the next meeting, sometimes it's a little easier to just fall back on, did we do all the best practices with the platforms? And it takes a little more, courage, frankly, to fight for the value
1: of creative. It does. And I think it comes back to one of the first things I said about, we don't always have the luxury of getting to choose who we work with and what we work on in our careers. And I don't want to sound like the, that's a very privileged thing to say, but I think it comes back to if if you have an opportunity in your career to choose brave people first, people that have a track record of Following through and doing stuff that is more interesting than right, that's usually a good place to start.
0: Totally. So what trends are you seeing that you expect will shape marketing growth today and tomorrow?
1: The first thing is just the way in which teams are constructed, creative teams, strategic teams. Eight, the, what does the modern agency look like? What I've seen over the last year and a half is this rise of what I would call these creative collectives, where it's like a core group of really seasoned, smart people who then have a constellation of specialists and experts from around the world. And if I'm a client, what I'm getting from that is, I'm not paying for the agency glut that sometimes you expect. There's less overhead. I know I'm getting the A team. I know that if these were all independent contractors, I know I'm getting an army of entrepreneurs who know how to be self starters. So I think that that will only continue to be an in vogue model. And it's not all or nothing. It doesn't mean that it needs to be a a traditional agency or one of these collectives. I think what agencies need to start to do more of is breaking down those traditional dividing lines and merging freelancers with full-time, merging offline with online in the name of just trying to construct the best, most high-powered team possible. So I think that's going to be really important. I come back to something I said earlier, like the Johnny Bowers of the world, I think are, are at the forefront of recognizing the value of brand and using that as a tool to elevate the value of a company, which in the past brand and marketing was often seen as kind of like a cost center or a nice to have or something we invest in when we're flush. And I think now You put brand at the center of it, you give it a seat at the table at the boardroom, a lot of amazing things can happen. I went to high school with the guy who's co-founder of Warby Parker and Harry's, and I think he's a great model or a great example of a guy who's certainly focused on making great products, but more than anything, understanding the value of brands and design and making sure that people feel like they are part of something different. Sure. We talked about earned media and again, like that's that's not anything new, but I think in this fragmented environment, you know, where everything is skippable, focusing on actions over ads is going to continue to be really important. Of Always be thinking about what's the headline in the case study or the press release months down the road, like sure. what, what were people talking about? And then on a personal level, like in my world, I still do a lot of non-traditional primary research, especially a lot of qualitative work. And there's a pretty cool thing that's happening right now in the research world where non-researchers are designing better research experiences that are long overdue. And so all those stigmas around the primary research process, that it's long and dry and drawn out and expensive to get to understand the customer, those are all starting to go away. And so the ability for brands to get closer to the minds and truth of a consumer on an ongoing basis, is just gonna be a lot more accessible in this decade. I
0: love this notion that research is almost going through its own disruption right now for the better. You could almost parallel that a little bit to other spaces where the tools have been really democratized and it almost being a double-edged sword where, okay, more people can get into research faster and get more insight. But to your point, if you have a lot of non-researchers doing it, there's definitely some good there, but also are you losing some of the discipline of research? Is that something that you've encountered in your discussions with clients and teams?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a balance. And one of the things I I say to clients is there is a gold rush in the research technology world, as I would call it, and a rush to bake more AI and machine learning and natural language processing into the inputs and outputs of research. And that's a really good thing for the most part. But in any gold rush, there's also a whole lot of fool's gold as well. So I, without naming names, I think there's a lot of bright, shiny object syndrome in the research world and a lot of over promises about how technology can extrapolate and predict the behavior of consumers. Are we predictably irrational as human beings? Absolutely. Do I believe that you could analyze the data from smart watches to predict someone's behavior after watching a piece of content. I don't know. I don't know about that. So I think we just need to be careful that we don't over rely on any one piece of research. Like research should be one input to a larger strategic process. And you yeah. just need to ask questions and make sure we're not putting all our eggs in one basket. Right.
0: And I think it's also just about test and learn, right? We've been talking for decades about rapid test and learn, particularly in the digital space with creative. And I think there's opportunity with research, perhaps if the tools are opening it up Um, and you just have to keep that critical eye around, okay, what are we seeing that feels like it's complementary and consistent with what we've known about our audience and what maybe is much more of an outlier. Zach, we we could go on for, for ages here talking shop. Are there a couple growth learnings that you might want to just highlight before we wrap up? Yeah,
1: I, I was thinking about, especially for newer strategists or newer marketers, I think there's such a pressure to be great at everything and be an expert in everything. And I think that's... Often a big mistake that especially more junior people make. Trying to feel like you need to be an expert in media and brand strategy and cultural strategy. There's a lot of subspecialties in strategy. And yes, you should try to get smart on as much as possible. But I've definitely learned in my career that there are a lot of people that are really smart in media planning and media strategy and communication strategy that may never be me. And I'm I'm kind of at peace with that. I know a lot of great people that are good at it. So just unburdening yourself with needing to be an expert in every single thing is one. I think I go back to something I said before of just people first, stick with people you admire first and foremost. We spend such a disproportionate amount of time in our lives at work. And ultimately you're not gonna love everyone you work with, but if you can start with, working for and working with people that you admire, who can push you and who inspire you, that's big. And I think the final thing that I'll leave with you, which is actually a signature that I use in my emails, is to think about work as play a little bit more. We take ourselves so seriously. And yes, there are real business implications to the decisions and stuff that we make out in the world, but there's a great Alan Watts quote that I put at the bottom of my emails and it's, Uh, This is the real secret to life, to be completely engaged with what you're doing in the here and now, and instead of calling it work, realize it is play. So I, I think we could all use a little bit more play baked into our lives as marketers and not taking ourselves so seriously, and I think it goes back to the whole idea of interesting overwrite. Usually if you're playing around and not kind of straining your brain to come up with a big idea, usually good stuff comes out of it as well. So
0: here, think,
1: think of work as play, that's what all we do is. I, I
0: completely subscribe to all of those learnings. Zach, this has been a fantastic conversation. I genuinely appreciate the time. I know our listeners will be super excited as well about this conversation and soon enough, we'll be bringing it to the people and opening up the conversation with the community on LinkedIn and elsewhere. So Zach, thanks so much.